Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. At any moment, we're expecting a big court decision that could cost Donald Trump tens of millions of dollars. The lead starts right now. A jury deliberating after a dramatic day in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. Donald Trump stormed out of the courtroom. The judge threatened to lock up Trump's attorney. And now jurors will decide how much the former president must pay for defaming the woman he had already been found liable of sexually abusing and defaming. We're going to talk to the CNN correspondent in the courtroom. Plus, showdown. Texas defies a U.S. Supreme Court ruling, keeping razor wire and its National Guard at the border. I'm going to talk with one of the 25 Republican governors siding with the Lone Star State over the rule of law. And one of the most stunning acts of violence we've heard of from Gaza, Palestinians shot dead despite waving white flags of surrender. A CNN investigation coming now about that and how often it's happening. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We're going to start in our Law and Justice League today in a day of antics inside the Manhattan courthouse. This comes as the defamation damages trial against Donald Trump is now in the hands of the jury. Seven men, two women tasked with deciding how much Donald Trump should have to pay E. Jean Carroll for denying when he was president that he sexually assaulted her and then lambasting her character. A jury in another trial already found him liable for sexually assaulting Ms. Carroll and ordered him to pay $5 million for defaming her in 2022. Today, moments before closing arguments began, the judge admonished Trump's attorney for interrupting, threatening her, quote, you are on the verge of spending some time in the lockup. Now sit down, unquote. Then just minutes after Carroll's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, began her closing arguments, Donald Trump stormed out of the courtroom. The judge instructing the court record to reflect that Trump had walked out. Kaplan, in her statement, tried to persuade the jury to hit Trump where it hurts, his wallet, saying Donald Trump is a wealthy man, and the only way to get him to stop telling lies is to force him to pay unusually high punitive damages. Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, fired back, arguing that Carol only brought this case to get back her lavish lifestyle. Donald Trump himself set the tone for this dramatic day in court with a fiery statement in the middle of the night posted on Truth Social. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. The whole thing is a scam. And it's a shame. And it's a disgrace to our country. Let's start with Kara Scannell, who's outside the Manhattan courthouse on Verdict Watch. Uh, Kara, how soon could we see a verdict, do you think? 
Well, Jake, the judge told the jury they can deliberate until 4.30 today, so we're just about a half an hour away from that mark. They have been behind the scenes working on this since about 1.40, so just over two hours, 20 minutes of deliberations. Now, we did just see Donald Trump's motorcade leave the courthouse, so he has left the building while the jury is still deliberating. So if a verdict is returned today, he is not going to be here to hear it. Uh, you know, but this is as we are uh, waiting for the jury. You know, it comes, as you said, in a drama-filled day inside this courtroom where the former president and Eugene Carroll's lawyers gave their best shot to the jury with Carroll's attorneys saying that Donald Trump needs to be held accountable. The only way to hold him accountable is through his pocketbook. They're asking for a big fine, more than $24 million in compensatory and emotional damages and a very significant amount in punitive damages, saying that when the president speaks, the world listens. The hate mail, the threats that Carroll receives were parroting Donald Trump's words, trying to hold him accountable. They also told the jury that Eugene Carroll is the victim in this case, not Donald Trump, as his lawyers would like them to believe. And Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, also giving her best argument, saying that Eugene Carroll knew she would invite some backlash by going public with these accusations and that Donald Trump can't be held responsible for Twitter trolls and hate mail that Carroll may have received, saying that he did not condone that behavior and they don't know who those people are. So trying to distance him from this. But this is a question for the jury. And, you know, they're not having to find questions about sexual assault or defamation. Another jury already determined that. This is just about how much money they'll have to pay. And they've been working now for over two hours to see if they can reach that answer today, Jake. All right, Gareth Scannell, thanks so much. With us now is former Trump attorney Jim Trusty. Uh, Jim, good to see you. So you just heard uh, me mention while E. Jean Carroll's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, was delivering her closing arguments, uh, Trump stood up and walked out of the courtroom. It was described uh, by onlookers as storming out of the courtroom. Uh, do you think behavior like that impacts the jury? Yeah, I kind of doubt it for a damages trial. You know, if this is a liability trial, every one of those moments has some some import. But we're talking about, you know, a post-liability finding by a prior jury. There's been a lot of, of circus-like atmosphere to it, judge-threatening Miss Haba, Miss Haba not standing up when she should, you know, all sorts of stuff that I think actually hurts the whole system of jurisprudence in a, in a sense. But I don't think that moment of walking out uh, will, will have any real impact on the jury for, again, just for a damages trial. So Trump's attorney in this case, Alina Haba, as, uh, you mentioned her a second ago, he, she told the jury in her closing statement that uh, Donald Trump should not be held liable because, quote, you have a constitutional right to speak. Uh, the judge said you have a constitutional right to some kinds of speech and not others. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of opening up a door that's not particularly helpful, right? Because obviously there are some established exceptions to free speech. I, you know, I, I get the point of where she was going. I'm not sure it didn't invite a very activist judge to uh, to make some comments at her expense. Uh, so, you know, that's, again, it, you know, it's, it's easy for all of us as lawyers or as journalists to kind of sit back and, and poach at the conduct of the attorneys in the court. All I'm saying is, without really judging anybody too harshly, all of them are participating in a trial that doesn't really look good. If you came down, you know, from some foreign planet or foreign country to watch an American trial, you'd say, where are the rules in this thing? Everybody's shouting at each other. Lawyers are getting threatened with getting locked up. It's not really a shining moment for our system. E. Jean Carroll's attorney told the jury today to consider that Trump is a very wealthy man and the only way to potentially deter him from continuing his attacks, and you just heard us play one that he posted on Truth Social in the middle of the night, uh, is to make him high, pay an unusually high punitive damage uh, penalty. You were on Donald Trump's legal team. You know him. 
would that, uh, let's say he was uh, given a, you know, forced to pay $80 million as punitive damages. I'm just making that up, but it, that, takes a, that takes a bite. <laughs> would that deter him? Oh, look, I don't want to get into kind of personally vouching either way on it. Here, here's what I would say. You know, this juries get very little instruction when it really gets down to it, very little instruction on what to do when it comes to calculating damages. I was actually on a jury many moons ago where we had no idea how to come up with a number for com compensatory and for punitive damages. And that's really magnified here. It's kind of, you know, trial by Ouija board. They figure out what they want to do and they do it. I think the, the raw thing to pay, pay attention to is how much is compensatory and how much is punitive. If they have a very high punitive amount, that's basically saying they're not thrilled with the conduct of President Trump, that they're not thrilled with his outburst in court, perhaps. But if they, uh, if they go real lean on the compensatory, then that would also tell you something about their view of E. Jean Carroll. But again, this is a wide open world. When you get to damages for a jury in New York, there's really no way to predict what they're going to do. For, I think, most clients, probably, if you said, hey, stop insulting this woman, stop defaming this woman, uh, even if you think you were innocent or even if you think it was unfair, every time you open your mouth, it's going to cost you money. Most people would probably take that advice, but I, I personally find it tough to believe that any amount would, would dissuade him from continuing to attack her. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, look, I, I think a lot of the attacks probably reflect frustration at the liability verdict. It's kind of like the time to fight over that may have come and gone because now there's at least some risk that between the judge and the jury, they take offense at these, you know, protests of innocence, uh, which are combined with disparaging Ms. Carroll. Uh, but at the same time, this is, you know, I, I've had a lot of white collar clients that are kind of C-suite guys that are very successful with their lives and they get real frustrated at being subjected to a system that they don't have a whole lot of control over and if they feel like they're being treated unfairly. So he's not the only client for anybody who is going to you know, perhaps ignore instructions to, to lay low uh, during the critical times of the trial. Hopefully the jury is not taking it in because they're instructed not to, uh, but that's the danger is that any of this gets back to a jury or they get inflamed by the judge's instructions and the punitives climb up into the world you're talking about, you know, tens of millions. We're still waiting uh, on the federal appeals court to rule on whether or not Donald Trump has a, a right to immunity in the actions he carried out relating to, to January 6th. Um, what are you watching for in that decision and how could the decision affect the powers of the presidency? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a that second question is a real profound and good question, Jake. The the um, bottom line is, you know, I wasn't in the courtroom, I was in the courthouse, but I heard from a couple of friends that have that either listened to or watched the uh, oral argument in front of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It was a hot bench for President Trump's lawyer. It did not sound particularly promising that he was going to win on the notion of blanket immunity for a president while in office. You know, it's the artifact of the king can do no wrong. But I do think when it gets to the Supreme Court, and I believe very firmly it'll get there, that the Supreme Court could carve out a much more nuanced approach that's a more like qualified immunity or executive privilege, where they say if the president's doing something within his core responsibilities as chief executive, we're going to protect him, we're going to immunize him. So a phone call to a foreign dignitary that somebody doesn't like or thinks is uh, an FCPVA, FCPA violation, a foreign corrupt 
Practices Act violation. We're going to immunize him there. But if he goes off the rails and commits some crime completely unrelated to his duties, then he has no immunity. I think that's a reasonable and kind of a long-term uh, outcome that could make sense for the office, the institution of the presidency. But we have to wait and see. You know, I think that's uh, it's going to get to the Supreme Court. It's going to be a profound moment because we've never had this kind of circumstance. Jim Trustee, good to see you as always, sir. Thank you so much. You too, Jake. Coming right, up, thanks. a CNN investigation looking into civilian deaths in Gaza. Multiple videos obtained showing Palestinians shot dead. One, a grandmother with a five-year-old child. And those killed were waving white flags. The disturbing report from our very own Clarissa Ward. That's next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Topping our world lead today, 12 aid workers in Gaza have been fired over their alleged involvement in the horrific October 7th terrorist attack on Israel. The United Nations Relief Works Agency in Gaza, or UNRWA, says it has launched an investigation as the U.S. State Department pauses additional funding for UNRWA while they look into the allegations. This is not the first time that the U.N. agency has been scrutinized. In December, the Israel Defense Forces said that it found dozens of missiles hidden under UNRWA equipment. Meanwhile, in the most intensive effort in weeks, the top intelligence chiefs from the United States and Israel and Egypt, as well as Qatar's prime minister, are all meeting and putting their heads together this weekend to try to reach some sort of hostage deal. Whether they actually strike a deal remains to be seen, but outlines of possible agreements, including a prolonged stop in fighting in return for the more than 100 remaining Israeli hostages, are notably starting to take shape. We will keep you updated on that story. Now to a binding and quote watershed ruling by the United Nations top court, the International Court of Justice said today that Israel must quote, take all measures to prevent genocide in Gaza, but stopped short of calling for an immediate ceasefire. Today's ruling was a first step while the final ruling on the genocide case brought by South Africa could theoretically take years. Still, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu completely dismissed today's preliminary findings. Take a listen. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. Meanwhile, as the conditions in Gaza worsen by the day as Israel continues its fight against Hamas, CNN's Clarissa Ward investigates why a Palestinian grandmother carrying a white flag was shot in Gaza, just one of several instances where Palestinian civilians were killed while carrying the internationally recognized symbol for do not attack. We do want to warn our viewers, some images in this report will be difficult to watch. 
These are the last moments of Halach Reis's life. You can see her here, leading a group of 30-odd people. They wave white flags, a plea for safe passage out of their neighborhood, now surrounded by Israeli forces. She holds the hand of her five-year-old grandson, Tayim, tightly, and then suddenly... Little Tayim quickly runs away as her son, Mohammed, rushes towards her. If you slow the video down, you can see Hala start to turn just before she is shot, as if she had caught sight of something. From the angle of her fall and the movement of the fleeing group, it is clear that the bullet came from the west or the south. CNN has geolocated the intersection. Mohammed told us when he reached his mother, he looked up and saw two Israeli tanks ahead of him to the south. And just 200 meters to the west, we know Israeli troops were stationed at the new Gaza prep school for boys, as captured here in satellite images and a photograph published on November 12th, the day Hala was killed. It's really hard for me to look at the pictures, but I try to remember the beautiful gatherings that we used to share together. Hala's 18-year-old daughter, Sara, was further back in the group. Now safely in Istanbul, she tells us the family had agonized over whether to leave their home, but after two nights of the most intense bombardment yet, decided to move. I remember that my mom, after we all sat down and discussed, she got up and went to the kitchen to make breakfast for everyone in the house. When she was making breakfast, she also went to pray a duha prayer. It's really hard. Really hard. Take your time. My mother was my whole life. She was my friend and my everything. She wants Hala to be remembered as she was in life, a devoted grandmother who still made Sara sandwiches to take to university for lunch, a retired Arabic literature teacher beloved by her students and family. The month before October 7th had been the happiest of times for the family, celebrating Sara's engagement and Mohammed's graduation from university. My mother was going to be 58 years old on December 30th and had her grandson with her, so why would you shoot her? What's between you and her? You made us feel like it's safe to leave. We had white flags on our hands, so what happened? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It is a question many are asking as more videos have emerged of unarmed civilians displaying white flags apparently shot dead. The Geneva-based Euromed Human Rights Monitor tells CNN they are investigating nine such incidents. We analyzed four. The most widely reported is the shooting of the three Israeli hostages, who the IDF admitted killing under the mistaken impression that their surrender was a trap. <laughs> the most recent incident, just this week in Mawasi, in southern Gaza. 
51-year-old Ramzi Abu Sahlul says he is trying to get back to the house where his brother is being held by Israeli forces to plead for his release. The camera zooms in on two Israeli tanks beyond a berm. A drone can be heard overhead. Ramzi and four other family members move tentatively forward, hands in the air, white flag held high. Then suddenly, a burst of gunfire. Ramzi falls to the ground. If you slow down the video, you can see the impact of the first round against the wall, clearly fired from the direction of the tanks. The men hastily drag Ramzi's body away, the white flag now soaked in blood. His wife runs after him, but he is already dead. Another video obtained by CNN was recorded by journalist Rami Abu Jamus on November 10th. He says the IDF ordered his family to evacuate their home and to carry white flags. As they walk, gunshots can be heard. On the other side of the street, a man is wailing over the body of his dead son. I told you, let's stay home, my son, he says over and over, still clutching his white flag. If only we had stayed home. Around the corner, two more people shot, also carrying white flags. CNN cannot say who fired the shots. We sent the coordinates of all the incidents to the IDF and repeatedly asked for comment. Hala Khreis was buried in a shallow grave in a small alleyway next to the family home. Her gravestone written in chalk. Her family hopes there will be justice for her killing and a proper burial when this war is finally over. Now, Jake, we flew to Israel to try to sit down with the IDF to present our footage and our findings uh, and go through this with them and try to get some kind of clarity or explanation. Ultimately, the IDF declined to meet with us, but they did in the hours after this report first was published online issue a uh, response, a statement. This is it. CNN refused to provide the footage in question prior to the broadcasting of the article as the IDF requested to receive in order to thoroughly examine the incident and provide any sort of comprehensive response. CNN's hesitancy to share the materials discloses the partial nature of their report doing a disservice to the complex nature of the operational reality on the ground. The incident is being examined. Jake, they don't say in that statement which uh, of the several incidents that we investigate in this report is in fact being examined. And just to reiterate, we did try many times, we offered many times to come to show them all the footage. Those offers were declined, Jake. Clarissa, um Back to the International Court of Justice preliminary ruling today uh, saying Israel must prevent genocidal acts. Um, they haven't come up with their ruling yet officially about whether or not Israel is committing genocide, but they did, they did say this. The decision is, is supposed to be legally binding. How would it be enforced? 
Well, this is the whole issue, Jake. This is really much more important and significant on a uh, symbolic level than it is in terms of how it will take effect on the ground. This is binding, but not enforceable. You heard Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's response earlier. Uh, you know, he has scoffed at the implications uh, that Israel may have somehow violated the Genocide Convention. And he also said in his words, we will continue to allow humanitarian aid in. We will continue to do everything we can to protect civilians on the ground. But what you've seen from our report and what we've seen more broadly from the very clear circumstances on the ground in Gaza is that there are serious question marks about how sincere those intentions are and whether, if they are sincere, they are being executed at all. Because as we see from these shootings, as we see from people starving, as we see from 90% of people displaced, from 26,000 people killed, the reality on the ground spells a very different story than the rhetoric that we've heard from the government of Prime Minister Netanyahu, Jake. All right, Clarissa Ward in Jerusalem, thank you so much for that report. This is CNN Breaking News. We have some breaking news for you now. We understand there is a major development in the E. Jean Carroll jury deliberations. Let's go to CNN's Kara Scannell, who is outside court in Manhattan. Kara, what's the latest? So, Jake, we're learning from a court official that a verdict has been reached in this case. This is just five, six minutes before the end of the day when the jury was supposed to uh, go home if they did not reach a verdict. And we have that from one court official. We were watching and we see Carol's team has entered the courtroom. Trump's team has not yet entered the courtroom. And as we know, Trump has already left the courthouse. His motorcade left about a half an hour ago. Um, we're still waiting for additional information on this. Uh, you know, as I said, Trump's lawyers aren't in the room. Uh, this usually takes a few moments to assemble everyone, bring them in the room, then bring the jury out. And then the judge will ask the foreperson of the jury to hand up the envelope with the verdict and then read it in this case. And this verdict is, you know, as we've talked about, this is not about finding whether Trump had sexually assaulted Carol or defamed her. Another jury already did that. The question here is damages, how much money Trump would have to pay Carol in this case, both emotional uh, compensatory damages, damages to repair her reputation, and potential punitive damages. Now, Carol's team asked the jury today to return at least $24 million to her. We're waiting to see exactly um, what they will come down to. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're waiting again for everyone to assemble into the room. They're saying now that the verdict, according to my colleague Lauren Del Valle, will be read at 435. So uh, just a short time from now, they will read the verdict in the courtroom, and then we'll know exactly what the jury found and how much money uh, Donald Trump will have to pay Eugene Carroll. Jake. All right. That's the, the latest news, obviously, as you just said, 435, we will hear the verdict read. A verdict has been reached in terms of monetary damages being awarded uh, to E. Jean Carroll for defamation by Donald Trump back when he was president and in 2019. Let's go to CNN's Kristen Holmes, uh, who covers Trump's 2024 presidential campaign while we wait for that verdict. And, and Kristen, uh, what are the stakes here for Donald Trump beyond the financial stakes because it is likely that he will have to pay a significant amount of money. Well, look, Jake, all of these cases have had the same kind of level of 
of what Donald Trump is looking at, which is how is this going to impact him and his political career? Now, obviously, in a civil case, he's paying damages. It's not the same as a criminal case and some of what he is facing there. But he has become very invested in this case. He has become almost fixated on the fact that he continues to say privately that he needs to defend himself. So we're likely to see a Trump who is going to be very angry once this verdict is read. Obviously, we do not know the amount in damages, but if he is to pay damages to E. Jean Carroll, we can expect uh, a very angry Donald Trump. Now, as we know, he has used all of these cases really as part of his campaign process. He did not have to be in court. However, I was told that particularly with E. Jean Carroll, he has become more and more fixated with this idea of having to defend himself. That's why you saw him testify. His lawyers obviously had prepped him. He did not speak for a lengthy amount of time, and he obviously did not go off message, something that we see usually from Donald Trump. The other person who was invested in this case, I was told, was his wife, Melania Trump, who said that he needed to go out and defend his family's name. Interestingly, we heard Donald Trump say he felt like he needed to defend his name, his family's name. Uh, so similar messaging there. Now, Donald Trump has a campaign event tomorrow in Nevada. We know they're going to head there tonight. Uh, likely when this verdict is read, they will already be at the airport um, leaving to go to his next campaign event, which is how he has really balanced all of this. But I think that we can expect Donald Trump to be very angry once this comes down. And I know we talk about this uh, on a lot of things, but one of the things Donald Trump cares most about is money and him having to pay damages for something that he believes is unfair or paints as unfair or was painting himself as the victim. That's always been part of his strategy. That is going to be something that angers him deeply. All right, uh, Kristen Humphs, uh, st stand by. Let's go back to Kara Scannell for the latest outside uh, the courthouse there in Manhattan. Kara? So, Jake, we understand that Carol's lawyers and Trump's attorneys are all assembling in the courtroom, ready to hear the verdict that will be read just five minutes from now. You know, the process here, what will happen is once the attorneys are all in, they will bring the jury into the courtroom. The foreperson will have an envelope, will hand it up, and then the judge will receive it and read the verdict. So we we're, we're expect that to unfold in just over the next few minutes. I mean, that means that this jury has deliberated for just under three hours. The question for them, how much money Donald Trump should pay E. Jean Carroll for damages. Um, her lawyers are asking for at least $24 million in compensatory damages. And they want, they said, a substantial amount of money for punitive damages. That's the amount of money they're asking to punish Donald Trump for repeating the statements that another jury has already found to be a defamatory, repeating them just 24 hours after the verdict at the CNN town hall. That was the centerpiece of their closing arguments today. And that was the moment that Donald Trump stood up and left the courtroom. Now, he did eventually return to hear his lawyers' closing arguments and the rest of the proceedings, but he left the courthouse just around 4 o'clock. His motorcade, we saw it departing, um, where he, he's out of the building. So when this verdict is read moments from now, he will not be in the courtroom. The jury will not see him when they deliver this verdict, and he has been in this courtroom for most of this trial. So really a, a significant moment in this case that he has spent so much time through, but he is not actually going to be in the courtroom when this verdict is read. Um, so we won't see an, an initial reaction from him. We may hear from his lawyers afterwards, um, and we may even hear from Carol afterwards. She had already received an award from a, the previous jury of $5 million, but now they're asking for a significantly more money because they, they say Donald Trump will not stop making these defamatory statements. He's made them repeatedly during this trial, and they said even on the witness stand when he was on it briefly yesterday. All right, Kara Scannell.
Thanks. We're going to come right back to you. I want to bring in uh, CNN and senior legal analyst uh, Ellie Honig. Ellie, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? You're the lawyer, not me. But my understanding is that we're going to hear three numbers. Uh, one of them, uh, the compens- there's compensatory damages and punitive damages. Compensatory has two parts, emotional and reputational. Uh, e. Jean Carroll's attorney asked for $24 million for all of that combined, compensatory. And then punitive damages, uh, Carroll's attorney asked for a huge sum to send the message to Donald Trump, you have to stop defaming this woman. Did I get that right? Exactly, Jake. So it's all about the numbers here. And when we get the numbers back, to sort of break this down, the compensatory damages means how much does E.G. and Carol need to be paid back, essentially, to be made whole for her losses, her economic losses, her emotional suffering, her reputational damage. Separately from that, and this is where the cap sort of comes off, where the number could be anything from zero up to many millions of dollars, is punitive damages. And as the name suggests, punitive damages are intended to punish, to deter, to send a message to somebody who's done wrong. And to me, I'm really looking at that one, because what matters here to Donald Trump, of course, is the amount of money. He doesn't like to part with money. Nobody does. But the punitive damages is where we really look and see, is there a message sent? Is this jury saying, we reject your conduct, we find it reprehensible, or perhaps not? And so those are going to be the different categories that come out of that courtroom. Uh, What else are you going to be watching for when the jury verdict comes down beyond those numbers? So first of all, if I'm the plaintiff, the fact that there is a verdict is something that I'm happy about because the thing you fear if you're a plaintiff in a case like this is a hung jury where you have a split among the jurors, where they're hopelessly stuck, where maybe you have a holdout juror, maybe you have a juror who insists on zero damages. The fact that they have a verdict, I think is a good sign for the plaintiff, generally speaking. The fact that as Karen noted, they've reached this verdict in a fairly low amount of time, about two, three hours, which is actually the same amount of time that the jury deliberated back in the first trial, I think is an encouraging sign. Uh, I'm looking to see the numbers and how they break down and really beyond the numbers, what's the message that the jury sent here? As you noted, Donald Trump's not in the courtroom, so we won't get to see an actual visual reaction from him. The jury won't get to see it, to see that, but we'll see what the parties say afterwards. The jury uh, reached the decision, as you know, uh, with less than three hours of deliberations. Um, what, what is there to read in that other than it wasn't that difficult for them? Yeah, that's about what I would expect as an amount of time. I did boldly predict on air yesterday that we would get a verdict today. There is a sort of known phenomenon in the courthouse known as the Friday verdict. It's human nature. Juries like to get their jobs done. They don't want to come back after the weekend. So we used to joke about this in this very same courthouse. We'd say, well, it's Friday, so we're going to get a verdict. But it does tell me the fact that they did this in three hours. First of all, they didn't just sort of steamroll this and come to a decision in 15 minutes. They thought about it. Three hours is a good amount of time. But also there wasn't wild dissent on within the jury and they were able to come to an agreement on a fairly complicated set of calculations. Carol's attorneys uh, asked the jury to award, quote, unusually high punitive damages. Um, What might that be? Unusually high. I mean, he he was he was ordered to pay five million dollars in the previous trial for comments he made post presidency. This is a different trial involving comments he made as president in 2019. What I mean, the, the man claims to be a billionaire. He's at the very least worth hundreds of millions of dollars. What would dissuade him from continuing to defame this woman? 
So that's exactly the question. And I think what E. Jean Carroll's lawyers asked the jury to do is to send a message. And Jake, you're right. This trial that we're about to get a verdict on relates to statements that Donald Trump made in 2019 while he was president. But important to remember, the statements that Donald Trump's been making over the last several months, weeks, days, all of that went into a jury or much of that went to the jury as well. And so when the jury's thinking about, do we accept this? Do we believe that he's in any way remorseful are we offended? Do we find his conduct egregious? They're able to take that into account. Everything from what Donald Trump said about E.G. and Carroll at our CNN town hall to the comments he's been putting out on social media over the last several days, all of that is in play in this case, and all of that can factor into the punitive damages decision. Uh, let's go to uh, Kara Scannell right now. Uh, thanks so much, Ellie. Um, uh, Kara, uh, what's going on right now inside the building? So, Jake, the judge has just got on the bench and just said in the courtroom, I'm advised that the jury has reached a verdict. We will have no outburst and maintain entire decorum during these proceedings. Now the jury is entering the courtroom. There's, you know, this is a jury of seven men and two women who've been hearing this trial. They are entering the courtroom once they are seated. Okay, they're, we're just beginning, they're just beginning this process now. This, the foreperson would give the judge the envelope. Um, it looks like that part of this is starting to get underway and we may get the actual dollar amounts shortly. Jake. Okay, uh, Kara Scannell, we, you're, you're getting emails uh, from uh, inside individuals inside the courtroom and as soon as you have anything to tell us, we'll come right back to you, Kristen Holmes. Uh, the Trump team, uh, is inside uh, the courtroom, one would imagine, although Donald Trump is not? I mean, I haven't spoken to the lawyers yet. I know his entire campaign team is with him. They were heading to the airport. They were leaving. He has a political event in Nevada. I am trying to reach out to make sure this hasn't changed any of their plans, having it happen so so closely to his departure. Uh, just a reminder that no matter what happens today with whatever the verdict is, he is going to say over and over again that this is some kind of election interference, that he never met her, that this was done at the hands to try and stop him from running for office. We've heard these arguments time and time again. Uh, his own lawyer was talking about how Eugene Carroll was funded by Democrats, something that he, she was admonished by the judge for saying. Uh, this has been their standard practice and something that he has done repeatedly and he has continued to post about her even after uh, he is in a trial for defamation uh, he it's almost as though he can't help himself he feels very fixated on it which is part of why you saw him take the stand part of his defense and what his lawyer said was that he felt like he was defending himself that is also something that he said to a lot of his allies that he needed to defend himself in this case and part of there's also spin on the fact that he has continued to lash out at her on social media uh, despite the fact that he has been warned not to and now we will find out if there are damages for some of what he has done and I'm sorry I'm just I'm also looking at my phone to see where they are and if this is changing any of their plans but I'm not hearing back just yet um, they were told, I was told by a source at LaGuardia that they were on their way and he was going to be there imminently. However, he's still not arrived at the airport. So there's obviously been some speculation as to whether or not this changes any version of their plans. But as we know, Donald Trump is going to be absolutely furious uh, with this. He has clearly shown that. Um, and part of this, again, will play into however he wants to message it. It will be messaged around his campaign. 
um, in the politics of all of this. Okay, Kristen, I'm, I'm going to um, interrupt you. I apologize. Uh, but we're starting to get the, the numbers from the courtroom. Let's go back to Kara Scannell. Uh, Kara, uh, what, 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 what do you have for us so far in terms uh, of the damages being awarded by this jury to E. Jean Carroll uh, because of uh, Donald Trump's uh, defamation against her? I mean, Jake, this is a significant win for E. Jean Carroll. The jury awarding her um, just shy of $100 million in this verdict. I'm going to break it down for you. They said that uh, E. Jean Carroll was injured as a result of Trump's defamatory statements. And for emotional harm, they're awarding her $7.3 million. For reputational repair, they're awarding her $11 million. And for punitive damages, that is the part that punishes Donald Trump. They are awarding $65 million. So my rough math there gets us over $80 million that the jury is awarding E. Jean Carroll. I mean, that is a significant win from her. Last year, the jury awarded her $5 million. This is just exponentially more. Um, you know, this is something that is the jury is sending a message to Donald Trump. You know, the argument that Carroll's team has made, which this jury seems to have completely agreed with, is that the only way to stop Donald Trump from repeating these defamatory statements is to hit him in the pocketbook, and that is what they've done. I mean, a significant victory for E. Jean Carroll, um, substantially more than she had asked for. Um, you know, she was seeking millions of dollars, and now they're returning this verdict of over $80 million. Jake? Yeah, $83.3 million. Your math checks out, Kara Scannell. We'll come back to you when you have more to tell us. Let's uh, bring in CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. All right, so let's just get your reaction uh, to these numbers. Let me, let me uh, remind folks what they are. Uh, the compensatory damages, all told, is $18.3 million. That checks out to be $7.3 million for emotional harm. They, the, court, the, the jury found that he did, in fact, injure her. Uh, and $11 million uh, for reputational harm done to her. And then, so that's $18.3 million, which uh, is, is less than Carol's attorney asked for. She'd asked for $24 million. Punitive damages, uh, $65 million. Explain, first of all, what, 65, what punitive damages means and whether or not that's a, that's a high figure for this trial. It, well, to start with the last question, it is a high figure. That's a lot of money for anybody, including Donald Trump. Now, when we talk about compensatory damages, you're paying someone back for something they've lost. And to your point about the fact that this was less than uh, A. Jean Carroll's folks had asked for, uh, it's hard to put a dollar amount on someone's suffering, but, sh but she did. And they said, we think it's $24 million. They said here that it was you know, $7.3 million. Now, this question of punitive damages, that how do you deter someone or others like him from engaging in the same conduct? And you put a dollar amount on it and slap him with a big uh, amount of money. The challenge here with someone who's a billionaire or at least a hundred million, a multi- Whatever he is, what, right. Whatever He's very rich. In there he is. He's yeah. very rich. It's hard to put a dollar amount on, on his conduct that, that would actually deter him or anyone else. So they had to put a, a high dollar amount on. $83.3 million. That is a lot. Not as much uh, as Rudy Giuliani was ordered to pay those two election workers that he defamed, but still uh, quite a chunk of change. Um, do you think that there is grounds for an appeal? Will Donald Trump be able to say, uh, and his lawyers, like, this is too high, I didn't get a fair trial, et cetera? There are certainly grounds for an appeal. Everyone uh, who makes it through the legal system, Jake, is entitled to challenge a verdict that, or, or a dollar amount that's put against them. The, the problem is it's, it's substantiated. She, they laid out uh, during the trial what her 
injuries were, whether they were emotional, reputational, or whatever else. And punitive damages are hard to quantify, but it makes sense for an individual who's who's a billionaire, or again, like I said, a multi- Or whatever he is, yes, a lot of money, 83.3 million dollars. If you're just joining us, uh, this was a second defamation trial. The first one, you you might remember, a jury found that Donald Trump did sexually abuse uh, writer E. Jean Carroll at a Bergdorf uh, Goodman's uh, dressing room in the 1990s. They did find that previously and ordered him to pay $5 million for, for defaming her post-presidency. This trial was about defa- his defaming of her while he was president in 2019, and the jury has just awarded E. Jean Carroll uh, $83.3 million. So Donald Trump is now, pending an appeal, ordered to pay her I guess $88.3 million if you had the $5 million that I assume he hasn't paid her yet. Uh, let's bring in CNN anchor uh, Caitlin Collins. Uh, Caitlin, before this trial, uh, I am one of the lucky few that actually uh, has uh, Truth Social, Donald Trump's social media website that, that he uh, founded um, back before Elon Musk took over Twitter. And if you just scroll through his feed, it is just, uh, you know, it's a, a direct tap into his brain, his id, and it's just post after post after post uh, attacking E. Jean Carroll, attacking the judge, attacking the case. This is before the verdict. So how is he going to react now? Uh, Jake, I'm told by a person familiar that Trump just boarded his plane here in New York. He had actually left the courtroom before this verdict came down. He is not in the room, was not in the room. His attorneys were, but he was not in the room as this was being read. And I would tell you, I would not want to be on that plane with him right now as he is finding out that this jury has decided he owes E. Jean Carroll, in addition to the five million that you already mentioned, another $83 million in damages here, Jake, because you know one sore point for him throughout this entire trial that you could see play out and something that the judge was pushing back against a lot was the fact that he didn't show up to the initial trial, which he says he did on the advice of a previous attorney, one who's no longer on his team anymore, I should note. And that was something they kept trying to bring up here. And the judge was saying, we're not deciding here if you if you sexually abused her. That is something that a jury already found you liable for. This is just about how much you owe. And obviously, there were questions of whether or not the tactics that they were using inside the courtroom were going to reduce what he would owe and what he would have to pay in the end. The argument that Eugene Carroll's attorney was making was that, you know, this is a really wealthy person and the way to kind of send a message to him is to choose really high damages, which, of course, the jury has delivered on here. But, Jake, after covering Trump for as long as I have, what I think of when I look at that $83 million number is this is a man who does have a lot of money. He does not like to part ways with that money and he doesn't do so very easily. So the idea that Eugene Carroll, something that has gotten under his skin ever since he was in office until his post-presidency, throughout these many trials, that he is going to owe her $83 million is not going to go over well with him. And, and how do you think that's going to manifest itself, Caitlin? Uh, what, what, is, what is next? I mean, obviously, we're going to see a lot of truth social posts. Uh, I imagine that's, that's an easy one to predict. Is he, uh, I mean, he's running for president. Is he, is he speaking anytime soon? Uh, is he, uh, does he have any planned interviews with any of the, the friendly outlets he tends to talk to? When are we next going to hear from him on this? Well, he has campaign events. I mean, he's supposed to fly to Nevada t- tonight, I believe. He is still on the campaign trails. We've seen him balancing the courtroom and the campaign trial. I mean, in court today, he was still trying to speak up. He was mouthing words as his attorneys were speaking, talking about his denials here. 
Uh, the crux of this, though, Jake, is these are for comments he made in 2019. That's what these damages are coming from. Obviously, as they played, Eugene Carroll's attorneys played in the courtroom as this trial was going on, the moment from the CNN town hall just back in May where they were arguing that, that he defamed her again, where he continued to lash out and speak out against her. And so I think the question and the argument that Carol's attorney was making during this was make sure the damages are high enough to, to essentially stop him from what he's been doing. Does this 83 million number mean that to him? I don't know. I mean, it's I think it's hard for people to imagine he'll stop talking about this and stop with the denials. But $83 million is a really high price tag. And it is indeed. And her attorneys asked for an unusually high punitive damage award. And I think it's fair to say uh, they got it from the jury. Uh, let me go back to Kara Scannell, uh, who's outside the courthouse in Manhattan. And, and Kara, uh, what is the reaction from E. Jean Carroll? So, Jake, um, Eugene Carroll was hugging her lead attorney, Roberta Kaplan, and her other uh, top attorney, uh, Sean Crowley, inside the courtroom. And then there was a group hug among the lawyers, hugging the other ones on the team. Now, we do, we will see Eugene Carroll leave behind me um, when they do exit the courtroom. And we'll also see Donald Trump's legal team exit. As we've been discussing, he is already gone, so he wasn't here for this verdict. Uh, but we, we have another colleague inside the courtroom. We'll get some more color reaction of what was it actually like inside that courtroom. But the judge had also, when he was excusing this jury, you know, this is an anonymous jury. They don't walk out the doors. They are driven to a drop-off and a pick-off point every day, and then they go to their homes. And the judge set that up specifically in this case, like he did the last one, because of the concern for their safety. I mean, this whole case has been about defamation and, and attacks and threats on E. Jean Carroll. The judge was not taking any chances. So when he excused the jury, he told them that they could speak publicly about it if they wanted, but they cannot reveal the identities of any of the other jurors. He said that his advice to them was never discuss that you were on this jury and don't talk about it at all. So he's advising them to stay quiet given the sensitivity of this, which was on display throughout this relatively short trial. Um, so we are waiting now for Eugene Carroll's team to come out of the courtroom, uh, as well as Trump's team. Um, that should take, that usually does take a little bit of a while, uh, but we've got our eyes on the door, we've got cameras over there, and we'll be waiting to see if she says anything um, after this big victory. All right, Jake. thanks so much, appreciate it. Let's go back to CNN senior legal analyst, Ellie Honig. Uh, Ellie, uh, your reaction to the verdict and um, where are, wh what happens next? Donald Trump, no, no question, Donald Trump is gonna try to appeal. For sure. Jake, this is a massive number. This is far in excess of anything that I think anyone realistically expected. This is 18 plus times the amount of the verdict in the first trial. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyers specifically, explicitly asked this jury, we need you to send a message. And that's what this jury has done. Make no mistake about it. 60 plus million dollars in punitive damages. That is a message. That's a message to a person who essentially the jury say, we don't think you can be deterred for anything less than this massive amount of money. Now, yes, Donald Trump absolutely has the right to appeal both this verdict and the prior verdict. He will appeal them. I do think one potential complication 
is how do we reconcile these verdicts? Because the verdict in the first case, which covered the actual sexual assault itself, plus defamation made after Donald Trump was president, that was for $5 million. And now we have a verdict for only defamation. That's many, many times that. So I think when Donald Trump goes up on appeal, he will say, you can't reconcile these. The more serious conduct had a far lower verdict. But I think the response that you'll hear from Eugene Carroll's team is, yes, but so much of the second verdict is punitive damages. It's intended to deter him. And all of his bad conduct up to and through and during the trial is what played into that figure. All right, let's bring back uh, former Trump attorney Jim Trusty. Um, Jim, uh, you've been in a courtroom with Donald Trump. Um, by now, I'm sure he has heard that this jury has awarded uh, E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million of Donald Trump's money. Uh, how do you think he probably reacted? I mean, let me be uh, Captain Obvious. He's probably real upset. Um, you know, look, the, the punitives... Uh, all of this is going to be subject to appeal. And, and you know, so nobody should expect that he's like literally writing a check on the plane. But he's been frustrated for a long time about this case. That's obviously a component of this lawsuit. And I expect it to continue. Um, you know, and, and by the way, Ellie, uh, Ellie stole my thunder about Friday verdicts. You know, there's just a phenomena that essentially a jury is kind of internally deciding we're not coming back next week. And so you see a lot of verdicts Friday afternoon. It did suggest that this was going to be a pretty tidy sum. I mean, the, the real broad notion here is that New York juries are not friendly to President Trump. You know, I think that's that's pretty clear. Uh, whether it's disproportionate to the point of some sort of successful appeal, I don't know, because the comp, the compensatory part is not through the roof. And the punitive, you know, I think, as uh, as Ellie might have said, you can always justify it by saying, you know, this is continued kind of willful conduct that justifies some sort of penalty. So it, it's a uh, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, there's still a long way to go before there's an actual conclusion to the case. There may be much better settlement discussions from the plaintiff side than there was before. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it's a very frustrating day for the former president. Yeah. For those uh, watching right now, you can see uh, E. Jean Carroll inside the courthouse. Uh, and it looked like she was about to step outside the courthouse. And we will bring that footage to you. Uh, live. Oh, here she comes uh, with her attorney, her legal team. Uh, let's let's listen in. Carol, uh, we were waiting to see if she was going to say anything. Uh, that is quite a media scrum uh, outside the courthouse trying to get her to say anything, but we could not hear her say anything. Her attorneys uh, were beaming. 
Uh, Elliot, they get about a third of they get about a third of it, right? They do get about a third. Yeah, of so it. no wonder they're sm- no wonder they're smiley. Um, and uh, and that's that's what what's going on. A, a very good day in court for E. Jean Carroll, who is now uh, theoretically eighty three point three million dollars uh, wealthier. Kara Scannell, you're you're outside the courthouse. Uh, did you did you did they say anything that we couldn't hear? You know, Jake, I couldn't hear them say anything over the the crowd of questions being thrown at them. But as you said, they were they were beaming, certainly very big smiles on their face as they got into their car, leaving court today, which has been you know a multi-year experience for Eugene Carroll. But one of my colleagues, Jeff Winter, who was inside the courtroom, um, said that when the verdict was read, that um, well, right before the verdict was read. Alina Haba, Trump's attorney, hugged one of E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, kind of acknowledging that this was the moment, that this was over. And then the foreperson had handed up the letter to the clerk of the court, who then asked her what an M stood for on it, and she said millions. So at that point, people in the room knew that this was going to be likely a significant amount of money. Uh, and then as the verdict was read, E. Jean Carroll was seated between her two main attorneys, Roberta Kaplan and Sean Crowley. She was holding their hands. And then after the verdict was read, that they all three of them had a group embrace. And that's very reminiscent of last year's trial. They That was the same situation. They're a close team. They were holding hands throughout the the entire verdict reading and reliving that again today, but in substantially bigger return for them, this jury award, certainly much more than they had asked for, Jake. All right, I want to bring back uh, CNN's uh, Caitlin Collins. uh, And uh, before Caitlin reads the statement from Donald Trump uh, that he just posted on Truth Social, let us introduce to our audience the concept of a truth sandwich, which is when we know something Mm -hmm. false is about to be said, we will tell you the truth, then we'll give you the statement from the politician who's lying, and then we will remind you of the truth again. So before I throw it to Caitlin, let me remind people, there is absolutely no evidence that President Joe Biden had anything to do with this E. Jean Carroll case. None whatsoever, period. In addition, while the First Amendment does afford many legal protections when it comes to the right of free speech in this country, it is not a law, it is not, a, it is not a, an amendment to the Constitution that allows one to say anything they want at any moment that they want, and that is why, in fact, libel law and defamation law exists. So, keeping that in mind, Caitlin Collins, you just got reaction from Donald Trump and his team. Yeah, Jake, and obviously, I mean... President Biden has nothing to do with this. All of this proceeded when President Biden even took office, that, that all of this happened. I mean, the origin story of this is, is George Conway talking about it when he met E. Jean Carroll at a party, something that was brought up during this. And, and the said origin story is in the 1990s when Donald Trump and E. Jean Carroll uh, uh, saw each other at a, at a Bergdorf Goodman, at least according to the jury. Right, which we know that was already a settled matter. But yeah, this all preceded President Biden being in office. But uh, I should note, Trump is sitting on his plane right now in Manhattan. He left the courtroom before the jury had actually reached the verdict, before we found out that they had reached the verdict. And so he was on his plane as the verdict was read that the jury has now awarded E. Jean Carroll over $83 million in, in damages here. He is just responding for the first time on Truth Social, calling the number absolutely ridiculous and saying he fully disagrees with both verdicts. Of course, the first one being that he was liable for sexual abuse. And he says he will be appealing this whole thing. He says that it's a Biden-directed witch hunt. Obviously, it's not. He says, quote, our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. They have taken away all my First Amendment rights. This is not America. Jake, of course, I should note, as we were saying earlier, 
Trump did not have to be in court this week. And the judge here, Judge Kaplan, ran a really no-nonsense courtroom, not allowing Trump to, to go off out of, you know, what was being decided here, which was really just how much, if anything, he owed her. He was still denying the heart of these allegations. And the point that Eugene Carroll's attorney made yesterday as he was being cross-examined just for those brief few minutes was that there was another trial in this, and Trump did not show up to that trial. He did not testify. He did not even go to the courtroom, which he has since said it was because his attorneys advised him to do so. But her attorney was essentially making the point that he could have come for that trial. And of course, now we are seeing how this has ended up. No surprise that he's going to appeal this, Jake, but obviously also revealing of just how angry he is about how much he is now, unless that appeal works, going to have to potentially pay Eugene Carroll. All right. And once again, Donald Trump's reaction, uh, including two lies, one that Biden, President Biden had anything to do with this E. Jean Carroll uh, defamation suit. He did not. Uh, and there's zero evidence of that. And second of all, that this has anything to do with First Amendment rights. The First Amendment is uh, an important amendment into the, to the U.S. Constitution that allows for more free speech in this country uh, than almost any other country on earth. But it is not an unlimited freedom. You're not allowed to say anything you want about anybody publicly, uh, among other limits on that. The breaking news right here on The Lead, The Verdict, ordering Donald Trump to pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in damages after defaming her a second time, this after being found liable last year of having sexually abused her. Let's tick through the damages today that the jury is awarding to E. Jean Carroll. For compensatory damages, the jury awarded $7.3 million for the emotional injury he caused her, $11 million in the, in the uh, injury he did to her reputation. Reputational repair is what they called it. That's $18.3 million right there. And punitive damages, this is to punish the offender, $65 million. So add it up, $83.3 million the jury has awarded to E. Jean Carroll. Uh, whether or not that stands and uh, remains after Donald Trump appeals it is uh, no doubt he will. Uh, we'll see. But let's go back to CNN's Kara Scannell, who's outside the court in Manhattan. Uh, Kara, for those who are just tuning in at the top of 5 p.m. Eastern here in Washington, D.C., and where you are in Manhattan, recap what happened inside the courtroom when the verdict was read, if you would. Yeah, Jake, I mean, this came right down to the end of the day. The judge told the jury they would be deliberating till 4.30 today. They started just after a just at about 1.40 p.m., so really just under three hours. We weren't sure if there was a verdict or not, and then it became clear that there was. So the, we, we knew that there was a verdict. They start to assemble the attorneys. Carol's lawyers are in there first. Then Trump's lawyers come in. Trump's lead attorney, Alina Haba, hugged one of Carol's top attorneys, and then they were sitting and waiting for the, ver the verdict. Now, one of the, the foreperson of the jury hands it up to the clerk, and the judge then read the verdict from the bench. And as you, as you described, a significant amount of money. E. Jean Carroll's team was asking for more than $24 million in compensatory damages and a significant amount of money in punitive damages because they argued to the jury the only way to stop Donald Trump from repeating the defamatory statements was to hit him in the pocketbook. And that is what the jury did today, um, awarding E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million. Now, 
From here, the judge will enter a judgment. He said that would be in a few days from now, whether he agrees with this number or challenges it in some way. So that will come down the road. But for now, this is the jury speaking awarding E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million. Now, she had just left a few moments ago, you know, surrounded by cameras, her lawyers beaming with smiles, walking to their car. They didn't give any comment to the media as they were leaving, um, although this was a significant victory for them. Last year, the jury awarded Carol $5 million after she prevailed on her claims of sexual assault and defamation. This award, much more significant, a significant amount of money. And of course, as, as you said, um, the former president is calling this absolutely ridiculous. He left the courthouse at four o'clock, so about a half hour before this verdict was returned. He was not in the room for the reading of this verdict, and he had been in the courtroom for most of this short trial. He testified on the stand yesterday for less than three minutes, but he was there, he made his points, and he tussled with the judge at numerous times. I mean, earlier today, in closing arguments, he actually got up in the middle of Carol's um, closing argument and left the courtroom. And that was as her lawyer was arguing to the jury that they, the only way to send a message to Donald Trump to make him stop because he wasn't agreeing with the other jury's verdict. He was continuing to defame her within 24 hours of that verdict and up until this trial. And as they said, even while he was on the witness stand was to send a message with money. And that is what this jury did. A significant award, much more than Carol had asked for. $83.3 million, Jake. All right, let's bring in CNN senior legal analyst uh, Ellie Honig now. Ellie, you've uh, had a few minutes now to process the verdict. Um, what happens if Donald Trump continues to go after E. Jean Carroll in the way he has. And actually, before I get to that, let me ask you another question. Uh, the reason that he has been uh, found liable for these def defamatory statements is because uh, he has been really calling her crazy. He's been saying a whole bunch of like clearly pejorative things about her. If Donald Trump said simply, these charges are not true, would that be defamatory? it would be a much more difficult defamation case to make because a person does have a right to deny claims. I think where Donald Trump went way beyond the line here is when he didn't just say, I deny that. He called her a liar over and over. He said wildly offensive things. He said she's, and I quote Donald Trump here, not my type. He questioned her mental acuity. I mean, he went way beyond that. So if he had just kept it to a sort of a, a straightforward denial, I think it would have been much more difficult to sue here. And Jake, as to your other question, what happens if, and probably realistically when, Donald Trump continues to defame E. Jean Carroll? The answer is, theoretically, she can continue to sue him. Now, I don't know that anybody, including E. Jean Carroll, wants a third lawsuit here, but it's important to remember, the statements that Donald Trump made during this case, before this case, all of that came into the jury. And if this goes up on appeal, and I'm sure Donald Trump will appeal, he said he will, he has the right to do that, then an appeals court can look at that when they're deciding, well, was he properly punished here with the punitive damages? Well, if he's continuing to defame her up to and through the appeal, that's something that can be taken into account as well. So that's really the only uh, recourse that E. Jean Carroll would have here. But who knows if $80 million will teach Donald Trump a lesson or not. So just two notes uh, on, on what Donald Trump said. And I know you were just quoting him when he claimed she's not my type. First of all, obviously, right. sexual assault is not about attraction or types. It's about abusive behavior and, and power. But beyond that, one of the weaknesses in Donald Trump's defense, if you can call it that, during the first trial was, while he didn't testify, he did sit for um, 
a deposition. And during that deposition, he was shown a picture of E. Jean Carroll in the 1990s when this event happened. And he thought that it was a picture of his wife at the time, Marla Maples. So in terms of the not my type thing, again, irrelevant to rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse. But beyond that, he thought he actually mistook the plaintiff in this case for the woman that he cheated on his first wife with and became his second wife, which I imagine when the jury saw that at the time must have had some sort of impact. It had to have, Jake. And remember, in this case that's just concluded, this trial, they saw that excerpt of Donald Trump's deposition. So not only is he sort of going out of his way to disparage E. Jean Carroll in every possible respect, including, as you properly note, respects that are really irrelevant here, but he's lying about the way he disparages them. It's almost dizzying, I think, for this jury to try to keep track of Donald Trump's lies layered upon lies upon lies. And to see a punitive damages verdict of this magnitude, this many times greater than the actual compensatory damages, is really, really rare. And I think the jury intended to send a message here. I think that's, we know that's what E. Jean Carroll's lawyers asked them to do. And I don't see any other way to interpret this. Jake, the other thing is Donald Trump's conduct throughout this trial that just concluded was abhorrent. It was, I've never heard or seen of any party lawyer in any criminal or civil case acting anything like this, speaking up, storming out, grumbling things that the jury can hear. And the jury is absolutely entitled to take that into effect in deciding, does he need to be punished does a message need to be sent? Uh, I want to bring back former Trump attorney Jim Trusty. Um, Jim, a couple a couple questions here for you. First of all, as I recall the first case, um, there were some weaknesses in E. Jean Carroll's testimony. She didn't remember the exact moment when this happened. In fact, I don't even. I think she was unclear on whether it was two, 1996 or 1997. I'm not saying I don't believe her. I'm not taking a position one way or the other, but there were weaknesses. What if Donald Trump had been contrite, had testified, had said, she's mistaken, this did not happen, um, uh, you know, and instead of insulting her, instead of attacking her, what if that had happened? Would there not have been a chance that maybe he would have actually been victorious in the first case? I mean, by definition, you can always say that. Uh, so, yes, but I take that with a grain of salt. You know, and I think that you, you touched on something that is of concern to me, which is really just kind of a broader context issue. You know, when New York decided to lift the statute of limitations for sex assault or sexual or rape type claims, you know, that was a that was kind of a nod to the fact that for many, many years, particularly as we get back to the 50s and 60s, Women have been re-victimized by going through the process of describing sexual assault. And so I, I, there's this tension that starts with the desire to not limit the ability of women in particular to come forward and complain about mistreatment. And I get that. But, but the flip side is when you lift the statute of limitations, which is a protection of the defendant, it's not some sort of award to the defendant for outlasting justice it's being able to effectively represent and defend them. And so imagine if you've got a plaintiff who says, I'm not really sure which year it is. Well, you're certainly not going to have an alibi because the person can't even tell you, you know, the day, the week, the month of the year. 
And that's a tension that's going to stick with me. I'm not sure it'll get a lot of traction on appeal because the legislature made a decision and the courts typically are going to bow to the legislative decision on something like the statute of limitations. But that's a real tension here, which is the difficulty of representing anyone. Strip away the personalities for a minute. When they're being told you did something wrong, some unamount, you know, some unknown years ago, um, and you have to patch together a factual defense of that. I think it makes it it makes it hard uh, to testify. To go back to your initial question, when you're not even really sure what you're denying, except the general fact of contact with this person. So uh, that that's something I'm kind of left with that I'm struggling with, which is the idea of you know how much do we push to create new rules like limiting or eliminating the statute of limitations, and what's the impact. Uh, on these civil cases when it comes to people that get dragged into court so many years later. All interesting food for thought. Thank you so much, Um, Jim. um, We are waiting to see if Donald Trump's attorneys come out and speak uh, to uh, the cameras. We see a bunch of people carrying legal boxes there, it looks like. I don't know who they are or what those boxes are. That's a big courthouse, a lot of stuff going on inside. Uh, I want to bring in CNN anchor and chief legal analyst, uh, Laura Coates. Um, Laura, the question I just asked uh, Jim uh, Trusty about, like, what if Donald Trump had behaved differently, uh, had taken mm-hmm. uh, the, the original charges uh, at face value, the original accusations at face value, treated the court and the plaintiff with respect as opposed to uh, defamation uh, and, 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 and insults, the way I look at it is if I get pulled over by a cop for speeding, the odds that I have a favorable response increase if I am polite and act like a nice, normal human being, as opposed to if I am belligerent and rude. And I kind of, per- I kind of perceive policemen like I would perceive any officer of the court. Am I, am I wrong? Well, certainly um, for many people, that is, in fact, the consequence. For some others, it is not. But the end of the, do- end of the day, yes, had he behaved like a defendant, who took the case seriously, we would not be here. Here's a, there would Alina not have been Haba. subsequent statements I, I, Laura, that I apologize. We just want to see if uh, Donald Trump's no. attorney says anything. No. I'm glad you asked me that question. No, I'm not having any second thoughts about representing President Trump. It is the proudest thing I could ever do. What I'm having second thoughts about is the license that I stand here with that the people in there are supposed to have. I have not spoken because I respect my ethics while I'm on trial. But let me now speak about what has happened. I have sat on trial after trial for months in this state, the state of New York. Attorney General Letitia James, and now this. Weeks, weeks. Why? Because President Trump is leading in the polls and now we see what you get in New York. So don't get it twisted, whoever asked me that question. I am so proud to stand with President, President Trump. But I am not proud to stand with what I saw in that courtroom. Ms. Hubbard, the I'm not finished, let me just finish and I'll take questions, please. Before I walked into court, that judge decided that every single defense President Trump had, we were not allowed to raise in front of the jury. It is in writing and I encourage the journalists, the real journalists, to take the minute to look at his orders. There was no proof And I couldn't prove that she didn't bring in the dress. There was no DNA. There was no expert. My experts were denied. Two of them, two of them were denied to come in. 
They didn't bring, let me bring up that Reed Hoffman funded Ms. Kaplan. And you know what we got in there? That my witness, who was her friend, who said that she is a drug addict and the drug addict is herself. That friend I found out in there was paid for by Ms. Kaplan's firm and that is disgusting. That is a violation of everything I stand for and that is why I stand with Trump. And that is why so many Americans are so proud that he is running again and so excited to run to the ballot box. But don't get it twisted. We are seeing a violation of our justice system. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not allowed to be stripped of every defense that you have. You are not allowed All right, to be so told. So you're getting you an idea now about why Donald Trump's attorney is perceived as effective as she is, which is not particularly effective. Uh, Laura Coates, um, if you could truth squad a little bit of this, uh, Alina Haba was saying that Donald sure. Trump was, was not allowed to introduce uh, defenses. Uh, what is she talking about? She's talking about nonsense and she's trying to rewrite history. And I honestly would not be surprised if she herself is now vulnerable to um, accusations that she has made defamatory statements of some kind without proof to the contrary. But let me tell you, he did have an opportunity, Jake. This was the damages phase of a trial that he could have attended last year. His presence was voluntary in the sense of whether he was required to actually sit in the trial, but his defense was was not voluntary. He had every opportunity, essentially, to put forth evidence, to put up a defense, to testify himself, to do all the things that she spoke of on that courthouse step just now. They made a de decision that was different from that. Now you had the penalty phase of a trial, and the judge specifically told them, here are the parameters. We're not relitigating this issue. A jury has already decided the issue that you could have participated fully in. And for that reason, you are limited in trying to have a second bite at the apple, even in the big apple. That was the clear directive from the judge. And so to suggest somehow that it is New York or the jury system or somehow something nefarious was going on that muzzled the defense in the way that they chose to actually defend the case is truly ludicrous. But you know, this is really par for the course in terms of why what you saw on the courthouse steps has been additive for a campaign, even if it is destructive inside of a courtroom. But make no mistake, America, the only role of this particular defense counsel during this phase of the trial was about the damages, not whether a sexual assault had occurred not the decisions of whether there was discredited. Those were issues of fact, as we call them, meaning the fact finder, the jury, whose job it is to determine the credibility of witnesses before them, to assess the evidence, to follow the instructions of the judge. They made a determination. They would like a different conclusion, but that is not injustice defined. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Laura. I want to bring back Jim Trustee, and while we uh, switch, uh, I just want to note uh, that some of the other um, utterances from attorney Alina uh, Haba include, she said that they will appeal. She said Donald Trump is not afraid of anything, uh, and then she walked away. And for anybody wondering, especially to my Philly peeps out there, she went to Widener University Law School in Chester, Pennsylvania, just if anybody was out there wondering. Um, Jim Trustee, uh, is that uh, good representation, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in a kind of a unique situation from having represented the president before. I made a conscious decision not to weigh in about the performance of other lawyers. I, I will agree with Laura on, on Laura Coates on one main point there, which is, you know, unfortunately, no matter how strongly the client feels, this was not liability part two. This was a damages trial. And I don't know the nooks and crannies of what experts she had proposed and what got excluded and whether it related to something more in the damages lane than the liability. Uh, I think anyone picking up the, the damages part of this case would probably look back a little and say, this is frustrating. Maybe this wasn't uh, such, a, such a great moment of justice that he was found liable, but it's legally irrelevant at the time that you get into court. Now, her credibility is still an issue, and that might be the avenue to kind of revisit things, but it's got to be subtle. And when you take a sledgehammer to the idea of, you know, um, this is wrong, I'm innocent, you know, she's she's crazy, it does run the risk of alienating a jury to the tune of punitives. You know, the, comp the compensatory here is not anything that's particularly outrageous. I mean, you know, I would I would like to have 18 million that suddenly came my way. But <laughs> but the bottom line is that's not a gigantic number. And and uh, and Jake, I'll give you credit. A couple hours ago, I think it was you that had a hypothetical 80 million on the table. And, and here we are. So the, punit the, the punitives are really the story here. That does show uh, more of a uh, an alienation towards President Trump and his position than it does a sympathy to E. Jean Carroll. And, and again, this jury wasn't charged with the assessing liability. And I think the judge made it very clear at every opportunity to God to tell them, you know, you have to accept that as bedrock fact. So it's a very different kind of trial than what I think a lot of people from the outside might expect. Yeah. Jim, stay right there. Uh, the breaking news for those tuning in. A verdict awarding Ejen Carroll $83.3 million in damages in her civil defamation case against Donald Trump. His defense attorney says he plans to appeal today's decision. We're going to have more reaction next, including the impact on the race for the White House 2024. Stay with us. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. We're back with the big breaking news and more on the verdict in the E. Jean Carroll uh, case, a jury awarding Carroll $83.3 in compensatory and punitive damages. You, you heard that correctly, $83.3 million. Let's bring in CNN's Kristen Holmes and CNN's Laura Coates. Kristen, um, game it out for me. How do you think Donald Trump's going to react on the campaign trail? Well, I've already been told by allies that he's absolutely livid with this, but they, he continues to paint himself as a victim, saying that it is unfair. Uh, but the other part of this is that he's currently on his way to Nevada, where he has a political rally tomorrow. That is the next caucus state. So we're likely to hear about it from him. The other thing to point out here is one of the things that we've repeatedly heard him say, and I've now started to hear this from advisors as well, is that they are going to argue that this is completely unfair, given where it happened in New York. You heard Alina Haba saying that as well, that this jury was never going to be fair to him. So look for that. Now, again, in his reaction, he talked about how this was linked to Joe Biden. There's absolutely no evidence at all that that is true. This is just the path that that uh, Trump goes down. And the thing to note is that it actually works with his supporters. He continues to link these every legal case 
to political witch hunt election interference and it starts to make his supporters believe that it is true even if they have no link to each other or to Joe Biden. So this is something that he has started doing months ago and is continuing to do now. Laura Coates, correct me if I'm wrong, the reason this took place in New York is because the assault on Eugene Carroll started yes. in New York. That was in 1996 or whenever it was. It was that that was at Bergdorf Goodman's in Manhattan, hence a Manhattan jury, right? It was the appropriate jurisdiction for where the crime was alleged to have occurred. He will make a similar argument, of course, in Washington, D.C., about a D.C. jury based on the voting practices of the demographics in the area. But this is such a significant case for so many reasons, not the least of which is this is a civil trial where the penalty phase has now been completed and the punitive damages are not so egregiously, exponentially higher than the actual compensatory damages. So the idea of trying to have to post a, essentially a bond for this and be able to pay some portion of it as, um, as an indication of good faith for the rest of it. It will protect the plaintiff in this action in terms of what money she'll be able to recoup and also or actually actually earn and claim here. And then, of course, you've got what would be the appellate basis here. If there's not a violation of the rule of law or a legal fault from the judge, which is a very respected one, if the fact portion's already been decided, he has a pretty uphill battle. And the notion that a jury was unfair simply because they were in the right venue is not going to hold a lot of water. We're going to continue to monitor reaction to this breaking news. $83 million, 83.3, really, if you want to get technical, against Donald Trump awarded to E. Jean Carroll, we're going to get reaction from the national co-chair of the Biden campaign. That's next. And we're back with the breaking news. A jury this afternoon awarded E. Jean Carroll, the writer who accused Donald Trump of sexual abuse and a jury found for her, awarded her $83.3 million for Donald Trump's defamatory statements against her when he was president. We're going to try to get some reaction now from the Biden campaign. We, of course, are reaching out to the Trump campaign as well. And let's bring in uh, Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. He is the Biden campaign uh, co-chair. Senator, you're also a lawyer. Were you the attorney general of Delaware? I think if that feels right, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no, sorry. No, I was not. I was county executive, but I'm a member of the Delaware Bar, and I serve on the Senate Judiciary Committee. All right, well, there's your legal bona fides. Uh, a jury said that the former president and likely Republican presidential nominee uh, must pay $83.3 millions of dollars in damages. Obviously, uh, he is going to appeal that, although I'm not sure what grounds uh, he would have for, uh, for anything to be reversed. Uh, what's your reaction? Well, Jake, what's particularly striking about this verdict today, uh, a verdict rendered by a jury of his peers in New York City, was that $65 million of it is punitive damages. When a jury's considering damages, they look first at compensatory damages, at righting the wrong that was done. But punitive damages are a way for a jury to signal that they think the defendant's conduct was outrageous, uh, to deter future misconduct. And the way that former President Trump approached this case from the very beginning suggests that he is someone who is always on offense, uh, who never takes any quarter, uh, who learned nothing from the May 2023 verdict that found him guilty for raping Ms. Carroll for sexual assault uh, and imposed a $5 million uh, jury award at that point, that he had another six months to contemplate what might be the outcome of this case and only continued to attack and defame her, and as a result, is gonna pay record damages, uh, tells you something about his character and his conduct 
I'll remind you last, Jake, this is someone who thinks presidents should have immunity to allow them to do whatever they want while they're president. Strikes me as a really bad idea. So I don't want to, just to quickly fact check one, one thing you said, the definition of rape in New York is a particularly narrow one. Uh, and without getting too graphic, uh, a hand cannot be judged as being part of a rape. So he was not technically found guilty of, of raping her. He was found guilty of sexual abuse. Uh, Understood, yes. So um, in any case, o over the course of the campaign as a political manner, we have seen how legal cases against Donald Trump boost his support. Uh, Ron DeSantis, before he dropped out, uh, expressed dismay. Uh, that all the court cases happened. Uh, he seemed to be suggesting that maybe he would have had more traction if the Republican uh, body politic were, hadn't rallied around him because of all these cases. Are you at all concerned that that might have a similar effect with independent voters or, in, or people who are trying to decide between Trump and Biden? They might see this as all unfair. Well, Jake, that is certainly what seems to be the response of the, the deep believers, the true core MAGA crowd, that they buy what Donald Trump is selling, that this is all just a witch hunt, and that somehow uh, in going after him for his misconduct, they're really going after his core supporters. But the results of the recent New Hampshire primary suggest that there's a lot of independents and persuadable Republicans who preferred Nikki Haley over Donald Trump for exactly this sort of reason, and who in exit polls said that if Trump is convicted in a court of law uh, on any of the many charges that he faces, that that will contribute to this critical persuadable group concluding that he's unfit to serve as president. Right, and we should note uh, that that's regarding criminal cases. This is a civil matter, which is no less serious, but doesn't have a penalty that might include prison. Um, what is your reaction? I mean, immediately out of the box, Donald Trump, uh, and we noted it was false. There's literally no evidence of it. Uh, but he was blaming this uh, on, on not just being a witch hunt, but a Biden-directed witch hunt. Of course, President Biden has literally nothing to do with this case. Uh, it is all about former President Trump's misconduct, uh, his assault, and then his defaming of Ms. Carroll uh, both at the time and as president. Uh, so uh, to say that this is in any way directed by President Biden is just another round of misdirection and constant attack uh, by the former president. If you think about the week that these two leaders have had, uh, President Biden got great economic news, uh, was endorsed by the UAW, one of the biggest unions in America, uh, went to a celebration of the concrete impact on the ground that is bipartisan infrastructure laws having in Duluth in rebuilding an aging bridge between Minnesota and Wisconsin. And former President Trump appeared in court and is now going to be compelled to pay a huge punitive damages award. I think the contrast in their conduct and their um, integrity and their path forward could not be sharper. Well, he did win the New Hampshire primary by a record uh, he number, did win the New number, Hampshire number primary, of votes yeah. and was the first person <laughs> in the modern era to win both the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, two contests that President Biden never won. So I don't know if that's entirely fair as a contrast. <laughs> uh, I will agree with you, of course, that the facts are uh, that both uh, President Biden and former President Trump uh, came out on top in the New Hampshire primary. 
but I was just contrasting uh, what a rough day they've had in terms of economic news. Certainly, certainly true in terms of economic news. 3.2% uh, growth uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter of 2023 as opposed to an $83.3 million verdict. It's kind of apples and oranges, but I hear what you're saying. Democratic Senator Chris Coons, co-chair of the Biden 2024 campaign, coming to us, it looks like, from Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. What will the political fallout of today's verdict be for Donald Trump? More reaction next. We're continuing to follow our breaking news on this Friday evening. The verdict ordering Donald Trump to pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in damages. You heard that right. $83.3 million in damages after defaming her while he was president in 2019. This after being found liable last year of sexual abuse and defaming her after the presidency. This all comes as Trump is in the middle of his campaign for president, which is actually going swimmingly for him, coming off two big victories in the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary, a feat that has never been done in the modern political world. I want to bring in CNN political director David Chalian. And David, we just saw Trump become the first non-incumbent presidential candidate ever to win both Iowa and New Hampshire. On the Republican side. On the Republican side. Uh, do you think this will hurt his campaign at all? You know, it's, it's hard to see how it does, Jake, because as you know, what we got today were, were these damages, the assessment here of how much money is owed. But voters, as you were just saying, that overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump in Iowa and New Hampshire in the caucuses in the primary, they were obviously aware that, you know, it's been uh, nearly a year since he was found liable of sexual assault in this case. So the information here is not new. And I would just argue also that we just saw in the New Hampshire exit polls that a majority of those participating in the Republican primary on Tuesday said that even if Donald Trump is convicted of a crime, he's still fit for the presidency. Uh, and Donald Trump um, won, you know, the vast majority, I think 88% of the people that felt that way were, were voting for Donald Trump. So, so this, it's hard to see how these kinds of developments, and I feel like you and I probably have had this kind of conversation and question throughout the 15 and 16 campaign, the four years of his presidency, and the three years since he left office. Is this the thing that's going to harm him? It's hard to see. What it certainly does is that his ever-present challenges ever since he took the Oval Office in, in 2017 with independent voters, uh, suburban, college-educated female voters. Uh, I don't see how in any way this helps him bring back some of those people to his fold that perhaps helped him win in 2016. So uh, Alyssa Farah Griffin, uh, who was once Trump's communications director, uh, is, she has since become a critic and is one of our contributors, she uh, tweeted or or whatever you call it now, uh, 24 minutes ago, in response to the news of this $83.3 million um, award, she wrote, the wild thing, Republicans have an off-ramp to nominate a conservative former two-term governor and UN ambassador who is wildly popular with independents needed to win a general election, but they're going to stick with this guy. Uh, is she wrong? You know, she, she's making that electability argument, the one that Nikki Haley has been making time and again, and thus far in the first two contests, we don't see that that's a really resonant argument uh, with Republican voters. It's not one of the top tier things that they're looking for as a quality in a candidate. So it's a fine argument to make, uh, but it's not one necessarily that's being met with um, approval by Republicans. Yeah, the electability argument was a big part of Joe Biden's pitch in 2020, and I guess effectively so. Um, we just had on Biden's campaign 
campaign co-chair, uh, Senator Chris Coons from Delaware. What do you make uh, of the reaction from the Biden campaign? Well, first of all, the fact that he's on talking to you about this to me is a different kind of posture from Biden world than we usually see on this. The fact that the Biden campaign co-chair is going on TV to talk to you to talk about this, uh, these damages and rulings, uh, that suggests to me they're in a new aggressive phase of making sure there's not a single bit of negative Trump news that comes out that they don't try to take advantage of. Probably wise, because what they've been doing until now does not seem to be working, at least according to polls. Yeah, no, uh, this is this is sizing up to be a very competitive election that is likely to come down to tens of thousands of votes in a few battleground states. CNN political director David Chalian, always good to see you. We're going to bring you new reaction to this verdict as it comes in. We want to get to, uh, and as well, a big story developing at the border. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a Republican governor coming to the defense of Governor Greg Abbott of Texas as his state defies an order from the U.S. Supreme Court. We're going to continue to follow this hour's major breaking news, a jury ordering Donald Trump to pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in damages for defamation. That verdict in a trial that examined comments Trump made about Carroll when he was president back in 2019. We'll have much more to come on that story, but also making big headlines today, a standoff between the U.S. Border Patrol and Texas state officials, which is intensifying. Texas Governor Greg Abbott continues to defy a five to four U.S. Supreme Court ruling earlier this week, which ruled that the Biden administration has the legal authority to remove razor wire along the southern border. CNN cameras captured Texas putting up more razor wire following that ruling. And now 25 Republican governors from across the country have signed a joint statement supporting the Texas governor as he thumbs his nose at the highest court in the land, writing, quote, because the Biden administration has abdicated its constitutional compact duties to the states, Texas has every legal justification to protect the sovereignty of our states and our nation, unquote. I spoke earlier today with one of those Republican governors. This was before the Trump verdict came down. Let's bring in one of the co-signers to that letter, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stick. Governor, um, I guess the, the larger question here is whether elected officials should just ignore rulings from the U.S. Supreme Court with which they disagree. <laughs> well, first off, uh, it's a head scratcher for Americans um, where when, when you can go in and cut razor wire on the southern border to allow illegal immigrants into our country. Uh, that's really the head scratcher and kind of what we're, we're, we're trying to enforce the law in Texas, which I've been to the border myself. I've sent troops down there in support of governor Abbott that there's 28 ports of entry. Those it's already illegal to enter the country any other way besides these ports of entry. So all we're saying is go through the ports of entry. Uh, nobody's against legal immigration and workforce. As a matter of fact, as governors, we're promoting B-1 visas uh, to be controlled by the state. So we know who our workforce is, but everybody knows we cannot allow uh, people into the country illegally. And so that's all we're saying. And, 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 and I think Americans are with us on this and, and they just don't understand what's happening at the southern border. We need to have it secure. Yeah, I mean, let's just pause it for the sake of argument that I agree with everything you said. Um, what Governor Abbott is doing and what you and the other governors uh, who have written this letter are supporting is defying the U.S. Supreme Court. And I wonder if you have any concern 
that this opens the door for, let's say, Democratic governors to defy U.S. Supreme Court decisions with which they disagree, let's say, on gun rights, because they think it's in the interest of public safety, even if the Supreme Court says what they want to do is, is unconstitutional. Well, we all agree that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And if the Supreme Court gets something wrong, uh, for example, if they tried to ban and say that we didn't have a, a Second Amendment right to, to, to bear arms, uh, I think the Constitution supersedes somebody in Washington, D.C. telling us, you know. Um, and so I think Governor Abbott did a really good job of laying out uh, and declared an invasion uh, based on Article One of the Constitution. Uh, the states have a right to defend themselves. The states created the federal government. The federal government did not create the states. And I, bigger picture here, though, Jake, is is the American public is so tired of politicians, uh, you know, doing something for political gain. The only explanation for the Biden administration to be cutting a razor wire and letting people flood into our country illegally is because they think politically it's going to help them in the next election. That's the only explanation. And uh, Americans are tired of people focusing on that next election instead of doing what's right for Americans. And so 25 governors uh, have signed an agreement with, with Governor Abbott that, listen, you have a right to enforce the law. And back to the ports of entry, mm -hmm. how can you argue with me that it's already illegal to enter except for these ports of entry? Explain that to me. I, I think Americans need to deserve. Wh why would you let someone come through except through these ports of entry? Well, I mean, the, the bottom line is when it comes to the interpretation of the U.S. Constitution, it is the U.S. Supreme Court that gets to make that final Decision, But you said something interesting uh, that I want to pick up on because th there is somebody from Oklahoma who is trying to solve this crisis. Republican Senator James Lankford, a Republican from, from Oklahoma, he's been the lead negotiator in a bipartisan border security deal. And in fact, his compromise, as somebody who's covered this now for decades, his compromise is more conservative than any previ previous Senate negotiations that have come this far uh, in the last 25 years. But Donald Trump opposes the deal. And he's pretty blatant about it. He wants to use the border issue and the immigration issue to win election in November. And that's why he opposes Senator Lankford's attempt to solve this problem. Do you stand with President Trump or do you stand with Senator Lankford on that? Well, let's talk about President Trump. It's his policies that had this border secure. And I don't want your viewers to tune me off on this because when Trump was president, he had the remain in Mexico policy. So I don't think President Trump is against legal immigration and H-1B visas and, and for states to know who's working in their state. What he is against is catch and release. And so if you're going to have immigration in the U.S., you had to do it legally, but you stayed in Mexico until your court date. Well, Biden canceled that day one in office. And so now it's a, just a catch and release. That's not constitutional. If you want to talk about following the Constitution, Let's make sure we make people follow the law. That's what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and again, it's so disappointing that this ends up being political and you think Trump's trying to use it for the next election and, and other side thinks that Biden's trying to use it. Let's just follow the law, right? And that is make people come here legally. And if they're not legally coming through the port of entries, we're going to keep them out. But you have an administration that's cutting razor wire right now. 
Yeah, I'm not the one saying that Trump's trying to use it for the election. Republican senators are the ones saying that Trump doesn't want this compromise that Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma is working so hard on solving the problem uh, because Trump wants to use it. But before you go, sir, I do have a question. We've been covering uh, for a long time now uh, the case of Oklahoma death row inmate Richard Glossop. This fall, the Supreme Court is going to hear his appeal about Glossop's uh, request for a new trial. His appeal has the backing of your state's conservative Republican attorney general. Uh, will you respect the court's decision if they decline to grant his appeal? Uh, yes, we will. We will. We will back that uh, that opinion. All right, Governor Kevin Stitt from the great state of Oklahoma. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. A big day of programming ahead this week on Sunday morning on State of the Union. Democratic House Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi from California and Republican South Dakota Governor Christy Nome. That Sunday morning at nine Eastern and again at noon here on CNN. Then Sunday night. CNN takes a look at the many lives of Martha Stewart, an original four-part series. It kicks off Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, only here on CNN. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, formerly known as Twitter, on the TikTok, at Jake Tapper, or you can follow the show on X at The Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of The Lead, you can listen to the show once you get your podcast. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. Have a great weekend. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.